Thank you for listening to a message from the Bowden Church of Christ. For more information, visit www.bowdenchurchofchrist.com. That's www.bowdenchurchofchrist.com. You can also find us on Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube by searching Bowden Church of Christ. We pray that this message is a blessing to you and helps you to serve God and find satisfaction in Him alone. And now, our speaker. Good evening, everyone. If you have your Bibles, let's open them to Genesis 37. Genesis 37, that will uh, be where we begin. Now, our study tonight is not necessarily going to be centered on any particular passage. We're going to look at a broad spectrum of scriptures in the Old Testament, most of the end of the book of Genesis. But uh, it'd be useful for you to start with your Bibles in Genesis 37. While you're turning there tonight, I want to kind of correct something I said this morning. I realized it as soon as I'd said it, but uh, did not feel as if it was right to correct it during the sermon. I understand that Jerusalem is not 3,000 miles above sea limit. (laughs) I said that this morning. First of all, I don't know what a sea limit is, and I know it's 3,000 feet. So, uh, nonetheless, because you heard me say 3,000 miles above sea limit, I know it's 3,000 feet above sea level. So I wanted to correct that. If you didn't catch it this morning, at least you'll get a good laugh going back and listening to it later. You could kind of see the confusion on my face because I knew it didn't sound right, but I couldn't conjure up the word that was right in that scenario. So, I wanted to correct that tonight before we begin. You ever found yourself in the middle of difficulty in life, uh, maybe looking at the events around us or looking at a difficult thing in front of you, maybe a a medical prognosis or some kind of situation you got with uh, somebody in your life that's difficult and you maybe sometimes pray to God and and, and you don't feel like he's giving you an answer, you kind of just throw your hands up and think, where is God? In the midst of the difficulty going on in the European countries, well, Where is God in whatever is going on in this country right now? Where is God? Sometimes we find ourselves questioning that. Where is God at in the midst of all of this? Our story tonight, beginning in Genesis 37, I believe answers that question as we study. And we've kind of sparingly done this over the last couple of months, looking at Old Testament characters and the lessons we can learn from them. We've studied Adam and Noah and Abraham, and tonight we will study the life of Joseph. Now, this study begins in Genesis 37, But in order for us to have a good context of how we get to Joseph himself, we have to back up a little bit all the way to the character of Abraham. Now, if you'll remember, the Old Testament book of Genesis outlines the genealogy of God's people as he would ultimately make them the people of Israel. And that began with Abraham and Sarah. Abraham is married to Sarah, and Sarah cannot have any children, and so they pray fervently for a child. And God gives Abraham a child. In their old age, they have a son by the name of Isaac. Now, if you're one that likes to watch TV shows that are dramatic or that have a lot of family twists and turns, you just hold on to your seat because the book of Genesis has some odd things that take place in the life of the family of Abraham. Abraham and Sarah have the little boy pictured in the picture behind me, Isaac. 
And Isaac grows up in the book of Genesis ultimately to marry a woman by the name of Rebekah. Now there's a lot of details that go into their relationship, but Rebekah is the sister of a man by the name of Laban. That's going to be important in just a moment. Isaac and Rebekah end up having two sons. Those two sons are Jacob and Esau. The problem with the two sons of Isaac and Rebekah, I don't know if it's because Isaac was the only child of his parents and he was treated with special regard because they had him in his old age, in their old age and they really just dawdled all over him and loved him, but Isaac for some reason had developed a mentality of showing favoritism. So Isaac showed favoritism to his son Esau. Rebekah showed favoritism to her son Jacob. Now, that plays out in the lives of Jacob and Esau, ultimately to where Esau is supposed to receive the oldest child's blessing from his father Jacob. But Rebekah gets in the middle of this, twists some things up because Isaac is hard of seeing, and Jacob ends up being the one that receives the blessing that was meant for Esau. And so the Bible takes the story of Jacob and develops it for us. Jacob goes to Laban, his mother's brother, his uncle, and goes to Laban seeking a wife. If you'll remember in the Genesis account of Jacob, he goes to Laban and he's there at the well and he sees Rachel walk up. And we've kind of humorously talked about this story before. When he saw Rachel, he yelled out loud and kissed her. And that was their first interaction. So, you know, if you meet somebody and they yell out and kiss you, you might not want to stay with them like Jacob did Rachel. But um, Jacob fell in love with Rachel at first sight and agrees to work seven years so that he can marry Rachel. Works seven years for Laban and gets married only to surprisingly wake up the next morning next to a woman who is not Rachel. He wakes up next to Leah. And he goes to Laban and he says, Laban, what have you done to me? You have given me the wrong woman. This is not the daughter I worked for. And Laban said, well, yeah. In our custom, the oldest is not supposed to not be married before any younger one. So Rachel couldn't be married before Leah. So I just gave you Leah. Now, don't ask me the details of how all that worked out. I don't know. But Jacob convinces Laban to allow him to work seven more years for Rachel. And so, in an Old Testament uh, example of God overlooking some of the practices of the Israelites as they would come to be known, this is the family they come from, Jacob practices polygamy. And he is married both to Rachel and Leah. You think the dramatics have started, wait till you hear what happens between Jacob, Rachel, Leah, and their two servants. So Jacob is married to both Rachel and Leah. Now the problem is because Jacob wanted to marry Rachel, that he loves Rachel more than he loves Leah. In fact, the Bible says in the book of Genesis that God saw this, that Jacob favored Rachel over Leah. So God closes Rachel's womb and opens Leah's womb, and Leah begins to give Jacob children. You can see the outline behind me of the sons of Jacob. You can see in this example, Jacob is married both to Leah and Rachel. And Leah has a servant by the name of Zilpah. Rachel has a servant by the name of Bilhah. Now that's going to be important here in just a moment. Leah gives Jacob his first four children. Four boys by the name of Reuben, Simeon, Levi, and Judah. Now over the course of what could assume to be four to five years... Rachel is fed up. Leah has given Jacob four male children. I have given him none. We've got to do something about this. And so Rachel 
takes her servant Bilhah and brings her to Jacob and says, Jacob, I want you to bear me a child. I want to bear you a child, but I can't do it, so I'm going to bear you a child through my servant. And gives Jacob her servant so that her servant can have children on Rachel's behalf. And so that's exactly what happens. She gives Bilhah to Jacob. Jacob bears uh, the next two boys, Dan and Naphtali. During this time, Leah had stopped having children. Leah had given Jacob four. Rachel had given him none but two through her servant. And Leah become very jealous. And so Leah gets her servant and says, Okay, if your servant's giving him children, I'll get my servant, Zilpah, and I'm going to give you Zilpah. And Jacob, through that servant, has two more sons, Gad and Asher. Now, Reuben, who is Leah's firstborn son, finds what are called mandrakes in a wheat field in the book of Genesis. Now, a mandrake, according to the uh, research that I did, was an unusually large forked root that resembled a potato. But the way that it grew, it looked like it had arms and legs and a human body. And so Reuben finds mandrakes in the middle of a wheat field and they believed that because this root looked like a human body that if you took this root it would serve not only as an aphrodisiac but it would also allow you to become pregnant because it worked like fertility drugs. So Reuben finds this root out in the middle of the field. He brings it to his mother Leah and he gives it to her and because of the superstition they make a plan for her to take it. However... Rachel really, really wants to have children for Jacob. And so, Rachel comes to Leah and presents a trade. If you give me those mandrakes, I will allow you to sleep with Jacob tonight. Again, don't ask me how all that works out, but that's what takes place. And so Leah has two more sons with Jacob, Issachar and Zebulun. God remembers Rachel, he gives her a son, and her firstborn son... On the side of Rachel is a boy by the name of Joseph. And Jacob is overjoyed because he finally has a son with the woman he was in love with, Rachel. Over the course of time, God also allows Rachel to have another child by the name of Benjamin. But in a very sad turn of events in the book of Genesis, Rachel, while she's giving birth to Benjamin, has a hard labor and she dies during labor. And Jacob is left without the woman he loves, Rachel, and two sons from her, Joseph and Benjamin. To which I turn your attention to Genesis 37. This is where our story picks up. Joseph is a favorite of his son Jacob. Now, sometimes we wonder, why was Joseph such a favorite? And I outlined that whole family tree to tell you there's a reason that Joseph was the favorite. That was the firstborn son of the woman he actually loved, Rachel. So, Jacob shows favoritism to Joseph, which irks at his brothers, but specifically in Genesis chapter 37, Joseph has a series of dreams that he tells to his brothers and his family in which everyone in his family basically comes down and bows down before him. Now, I would imagine that if any person in a family said, now, hey, I had a dream that all y'all were bowing down before me, he would write them off and think it was hilarious. For them, because of his favoritism, it made them very angry. Even Jacob was perplexed about this dream that Joseph has. But because of the jealousy it formed with Jacob's, uh, Joseph's brothers, the sons of Jacob, Joseph's brothers take him in the heat of a moment, throw him in a pit, and are decided to kill him. 
But one of the older brothers speaks up and says, we don't need to kill Joseph. Instead, let's sell him because there were some people uh, who had come by who were buying slaves. And so they sell Joseph to these slave runners who then sell him into Egypt. And, jo and Joseph is introduced into the city of Egypt, into that great uh, metropolis of an area where there was a lot of power. And so Joseph, living in uh, Egypt begins to go through a series of different events. For instance, in Genesis chapter 39, after the jealousy of throwing him into a pit and selling him into slavery, Joseph comes into a house that is not his father's. His brothers have abandoned him. He comes into the house of a man by the name of Potiphar and eventually rises to the top in the house of Potiphar. Potiphar places Joseph over everything in his house, and he has access to everything except for Potiphar's wife. The only problem is the Bible tells us that Joseph was a good-looking man and that Potiphar's wife really liked Joseph because he was a good-looking young man. And so she tried to seduce him, and in the course of that, Joseph refused her. She made a pretty relational accusation against him as to what he tried to do to her, and Joseph is ultimately thrown into prison. Now, could you imagine, just put yourself in Joseph's shoes for a moment. Imagine all your brothers have turned against you. They were going to kill you, but I don't get it. Maybe they had some mercy on you. So they took you and sold you into slavery. Then you finally find a place where you can work, and you work your way up, and then somebody tells a lie about you, and now you get thrown right back into prison. What an ego-destroying event. But for Joseph, he was quite resilient. Because the Bible tells me, for instance, in Genesis chapter 39... Specifically, verse 2 and verse 21, that wherever Joseph was, God was with him. When he was in Potiphar's house, God was with him. When he was in prison, God was with him. And God made everything Joseph did succeed. So Joseph gets thrown into prison. And just like what happened in Potiphar's house, happens in prison. Joseph comes in as a prisoner, and eventually the guard of the prison makes him in charge of all the prisoners. I mean, imagine that. You've got to have some kind of people skills and responsibility to go to prison as a prisoner and end up being promoted over all prisoners that you watch over them. But that was Joseph's nature. And of course, remember, God was with him. While Joseph is in prison, there are two people that are pictured here in this picture behind me that are thrown into prison with him. And maybe you can remember them. One was called the chief baker. Now, imagine eating for a whole family so much, having so many people eat in your house that you just had somebody that was over all the bakers. <laughs> he was the chief baker, right? Maybe they were really fond of sweets and breads. I, I don't know. But he had a chief baker. Well, this chief baker is thrown into prison. Then another person joins Joseph in prison, the chief cupbearer of Pharaoh. Now, you've got to be important if you have people that work for you. You've got to be important if you have people that work in your home, own home for you. But you've really got to be important if when you're sitting at the table, you have someone dedicated to put a cup in your hand when you're thirsty. That is some kind of importance or maybe some kind of overextended wealth. The chief cupbearer, the chief baker are thrown into prison with Joseph and they spend some time there. Joseph, being over all the prisoners, is coming by one day and he looks into a prison cell where these men are and they've got their heads hanging down and they're upset. And Joseph asks them, what's wrong? Why are you upset? And they say here in Genesis chapter 39, towards the end of this chapter, they say that they have both had dreams and they don't know what they mean. They tell Joseph the dreams and Joseph gives them an interpretation. Just to shorthand what happens here in Genesis 39 and then in Genesis 40, each person had a dream that meant in three days you would get out of prison. 
One was good and one was bad. The baker would get out of prison in three days. The cupbearer would get out of prison in three days. Unfortunately, the baker would be hung. That's why he got out of prison in three days. The cupbearer would be restored to his normal position. Joseph tells him the interpretation of the dream and says, Mr. Cupbearer, when you get back to Pharaoh's house, don't forget that I have helped you out. The cupbearer comes and begins to serve Pharaoh again. And in Genesis chapter 40 and verse 22, it says that he forgot about Joseph. So Joseph, according to Genesis 41 and verse 1, for the next two years remains in that prison. Two years after these men had been released. And he worked in that prison, probably faithfully distilling the duties that had been assigned to him. Until one day, the Pharaoh wakes up and he's had a dream. Now, um, I would imagine that if I opened this up for discussion, if it were a Bible class, and I were to ask you, what's the craziest dream you've ever had? <laughs> I don't know what kind of answers we would get, but you've probably got some crazy ones. You've probably dreamed some interesting things over the years. I know I have. He asks the, cup, or the, the Pharaoh tells of his dream, and he's wanting someone to interpret it. Here's his dream. He's standing by the Nile River, and seven fat, healthy cows come up out of the river. Good, you want fat, healthy cows. But after the fat, healthy cows, seven skinny, malnourished, bone-sticking-out cows come out of the river, and they eat the seven healthy ones. And the Pharaoh is perplexed. What is this dream about? What does this dream mean? So the cupbearer remembers, oh, when I was in prison, there was this guy that interpreted my dream, and it came true. His name was Joseph. So Pharaoh calls Joseph out of prison, brings him up, and when he stands before the Pharaoh to interpret his dream in Genesis 41, he tells him that in Egypt there will be seven years of really good harvest, the seven fat cows. And there will be seven years of a bad harvest, the seven skinny cows. And if you're not careful, the seven years of bad will consume you after the seven years of good. So you better be prepared. So Pharaoh brings Joseph up. He's made deputy Pharaoh. Could you, would that be a, yeah. Deputy Pharaoh, right? He's the next in line over Egypt. Makes him the next in line. And Joseph prepares the people of Egypt and the surrounding areas for the seven years of drought. When those seven years pass, Joseph, probably around the age of 39, is two years into the, two, to the seven years of bad. So he's two years in, got five years left of drought. And up walk these faces that he recognizes. His brothers, the sons of Jacob who had sold him into slavery, walk up into Egypt because they have been affected by the drought and they say, we have heard that there is plenty in Egypt that we can buy, grain that we can use to feed our family. We need to purchase some. Now, through a series of events, as his brothers come to Egypt in Genesis, and you'll see, that's a pretty long set. Aren't you glad we didn't read Genesis 37 to Genesis 50? <laughs> that would have taken all our time. Genesis 42 to Genesis 44 Joseph and his brothers go back and forth. For instance, Joseph and his brothers come. Joseph gives them the grain. He sends them back, but slyly he slips their money back in their bag as if they didn't have to pay for their grain. They get back and they realize, oh no, our money is in our bags. So they get sent back to Egypt to take the money back. And Joseph says, no, 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 no. Uh, don't worry about it. 
what we're going to do is, let me ask you a couple of questions about your family. Is your father still alive? Now remember, his brothers have no idea who he is. Joseph has grown up in Egypt. He has married. He has children. It has been years since they've seen him. Is your dad still alive? Do you got a younger brother? Remember what happened to Joseph's mother, Rachel? She died giving birth to, to Benjamin. What about your younger brother? You know what? I'm going to keep one of your brothers, Simeon, here, and I want you to go home and bring your younger brother back. And in fact, it's going to be really bad if you don't, because then I'll know that your word is not true. So bring your young, younger brother, Benjamin, back. So they do that. Took a little convincing from Jacob, but they do that. They bring him back. And while they're there, there's some kind of skirmish where Joseph says, I'm going to keep Benjamin, and he's going to stay here with me, and y'all can go back to Jacob. And finally, his brother Judah... Now, if you don't know much about Judah, I would encourage you to read some of the things in the history of Jacob's people, especially as it relates to one of Jacob's daughters, Dinah, D-I-N-A-H, and some of the things that happened to her. Judah and Simeon and Levi caused quite a stink with those people. In fact, one of the brothers who makes quite a plea for Joseph's brother's life, Simeon, they tell a whole city, because of what they've done to Jacob's daughter, they say, listen, we understand what you've done. You want to marry this, this, this sister of ours? What's going to happen is this whole city has to be circumcised if you want to take this girl as your wife. So the whole city agrees. Every man in one city agrees, and they all in one day come out, and with the sword, Jacob's son circumcise every single one of them. The day after they circumcise all those boys, three of Jacob's sons go in the city and kill everybody and say, you'll never touch our daughter, our sister again. So some of Jacob's sons, even in Jacob's death, he outlines how violent they were. Now, they were violent enough because they sold Joseph into slavery. And so Jacob sends his youngest son, Benjamin, back, the one he has left from Rachel. He sends Benjamin back. And Joseph outlines that he's going to keep Benjamin. And one of jo Joseph's brothers stands up and says, there's no way that this can happen. He pleads on Benjamin's behalf. He says, if it must be, you keep me and let him go, and I'll be your slave for the rest of my life. A, man, a, a, a young boy, a, a son of Jacob who has his own family, his own children. And he says, I will, because my father cannot bear losing another one of Rachel's sons. I'll stand in his place and send him back home. And it's here in Genesis chapter 45. I would draw your attention there that we see this. And we'll get to our point here at the minute in just a moment at the end. Genesis chapter 45 beginning in verse 1. There's the story of Joseph. Joseph has had the brothers back. Ultimately, they all come live in Egypt. But this is where Joseph ultimately breaks down. It's Genesis chapter 45 beginning in verse 1. Joseph could not control himself before all those who stood by him. He cried, make everyone go out from me. So no one stayed with him when Joseph made himself known to his brothers, and he wept aloud. So the Egyptians heard it, and the household of Pharaoh heard it. And Joseph said to his brothers, I am Joseph. Is my father still alive? But his brothers could not answer them, for they were dismayed at his presence. Joseph said to his brothers, Come near to me, please. And they came near, and he said, I am your brother, Joseph. Would, whom you sold into Egypt. And now, do not be distressed or angry with yourselves because you sold me here, for God sent me before you to preserve life. 
For the famine has been in the land these two years, and there are yet five years in which there will be neither plowing nor harvest. And God sent me before you to preserve for you a remnant on earth and to keep alive for you many survivors. But it was not you who sent me here, but God. He has made me a father to Pharaoh and lord of all his house and ruler over all the land of Egypt. You know, there are times in our life where you and I could throw our hands up, where we find ourselves, maybe in situations like Joseph, find ourselves in the midst of things we don't understand, things that are frustrating, that feel like they're working against us, and we could throw our hands up and say, where in the world is God? Years and years of Joseph being in the city of Egypt. Being amongst those people, rising to power, going to prison. Rising to power in prison, being forgotten. Rising to power with Pharaoh, preserving the land for seven years, saving up the grain to save for the people. Then seven years of famine come after and he takes care of the people all so that God would preserve his nation. Sometimes when you and I throw our hands up in the air and ask ourselves, where is God? We must forget God has gone nowhere. The providence of God is a very clear biblical principle. General providence is talked about in the Bible in Matthew chapter 4 and verse 45. God cares for all his children. He sends the rain on the just and the unjust. God has never stopped working in this world. There is also the idea of special providence. We could read about it in Proverbs chapter 3 and verse 6. In all your ways acknowledge him and he shall make straight your paths. God in in looking down on his faithful children, providentially works through this world to ultimately accomplish his purposes. In our own shoes, we may could relate to Joseph. There are times in my life where I feel as if the things that I desire to do as a Christian, the way in which I believe I am living, I feel as if God's hand is out of it. But we must never forget God's hand is never out of our lives. God is not someone who made the world like the clock, step back and let it run all on its own. God has been involved in this world since day one, and he will be involved in this world till it burns up and we go to eternity. Special providence of God is seen throughout the story of Joseph. God is not retired, and he's working in this world today to bring about his purposes. You and I should never forget that. God does not leave us. God does not forsake us. God does not abandon any one of us as we serve him. He cares for his children. Matthew 6 and verse 33, Seek first the kingdom of God, and all these things will be added unto you. I believe that God cares for the needs and the necessities of his people. 1 Corinthians 10 and verse 13, No temptation is overtaking you, such as common to man. But when you are tempted, God provides the way of escape. 1 Corinthians 10 and verse 13, When you are in the midst of temptation, God is working in this world providentially to provide you a way to avoid that temptation. God is alive and well. And he is not dead, as many people would have you to think. He's in charge and in control. I believe there were many times where Joseph could have thrown up his hands and said, why has this happened? Abraham could have thrown up his hands. Why has this happened? Jacob could have thrown up his hands. Why has this happened? Where is God? We should never forget, God is always working behind the scenes for his people. God makes all things work together for the good of those who love him and are called according to his purpose. I believe Paul meant what he meant in Romans chapter 8. 
When we're tempted to ask, where is God? We must always remember he is working in his timing. I believe that is the major lesson you and I learned from Joseph. There's many more, but there's one important one that will deliver our invitation. Even in the midst of difficulty, Joseph trusted and obeyed God. God works providentially behind the scenes to care for all his children, but I think he especially works providentially for his children. Are you a child of God? Because you can rest assured the providential care that God would provide you if you were a child of God, if you were outside of his fold, he will not give you until you submit to him. God cares for his children. His children have the best outcome in life. His children have the best home waiting for them in eternity. His children have the most meaning and purpose in life. If you're not a child of God, you are missing out on the greatest thing that could be a part of your life. Maybe you have been a child of God, but you let circumstances like those that happened to Joseph or others deter you from serving God. Come back to him this evening. Return back to God. Don't, don't abandon him because he promises he will never abandon you. If you need to return to God tonight, if you need to obey God by submitting to him to become a child of his, or if you need the prayers of the church because you feel like Joseph in prison, and you need people to encourage you. Whatever the case is, we have an invitation song set aside for you to do that. Make it known to the church or obey God. Please do so as we stand and sing.